0: Hey devs, you're tuning into the debug log number 67. So today's another great interview, another uh, Sprockets interview, I guess. <laughs> I swear if we're not careful, we're gonna introduce you guys to the whole office at Sprockets. But anyway, it's another great interview. Today we have a product manager, not to be confused with a project manager, and his name is Vinyan Zinsu. Uh, he brings a lot of great knowledge, a lot of years of experience, doing product management doing consulting uh and doing you know mobile development both with the east and west markets and we get into all that in this episode so if you have any idea what a product manager i have no idea what a product manager you're going to find out some great information in this episode so we hope you enjoy it so without further ado this is the debug log episode 67
1: that was good yeah man that was awesome
0: yeah it's like a 50 minute one maybe it's
1: pretty good oh cut it in half we don't need all that
0: Yeah. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Debug Log. And today we're having the unique and great opportunity to talk to a product manager. Uh, again, right here at Sprox. I think we've been like... Uh Stealing every single person, every single field at Sprockets to talk to them. Yeah, we'll get we have... through the org chart eventually. So <laughs> exactly, but it's, it's a group of really great guys, uh, great guys and women, uh, women and men, I guess, and talented in their field. So it's really a unique opportunity to talk to them and sit down and, you know, hear give their stories to our listeners. So that's what we're going to do today. Today we're talking to a product <laughs> manager and his name is Vin Zinsu. Uh, and he is, um, Working, he's been working at Sprockets for a little while, but I will not try to belabor his intro too much longer and let Vin introduce himself. So, welcome to the show, Vin.
2: Yes, hello. Thank you for having welcome. me here. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, so I
2: guess um, I'm gonna, I guess, talk about the business side of uh, of games a little bit.
1: Or do you oh. wanna talk a little bit yeah, about yourself first? A little background. Yeah. It's so yeah, <laughs> a sure. right business. No, yeah, I'm, like, Listen, that's... I'm not messing around. Yeah, so. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Alright, so
2: my name is Vin, short for Vino. Um before I was in games, um, I was in consulting for for a long time. And the thing about it is I was always in love with games. I think I started Playing games from before I could really put sentences together. I think I had a Commodore sixty four. I think my cousins had uh ColecoVision Vision and Atari uh, fifty two hundred. Hmm. Um, I remember like typing in like load statements to get games running, and then uh, my my parents put me on the track t- to be in the game industry without knowing it. Um, it was pretty <laughs> much my my babysitter for as long as I could remember, hmm. and then uh, when I finally. Uh, was trying to figure out what I wanted to study in school. I, I picked computer science. I, I got my uh, major from Florida State in computer science because uh, I wanted to get into games. And I kind of derailed um, after one of our family friends uh, kindly convinced me uh, to join uh, in consulting instead. One, uh, the money would be better. And, and two, she saw something in me that had more of a business or, or problem-solving type of skill set. Mm-hmm. Not to say that like most people don't, and you have to in each one of your fields, but uniquely for me, that was you know one of the talents that I had gotten from just i guess life in general in school and something that I felt like I had excelled in, more so than actually being able to to code um, was being able to see like the full vision, the picture and uh, design things and put them together, and so that time in consulting gave me. Uh, a very good skill set that translated into uh, kind of the business side of games instead of the more of the design side. I still had a lot of the design side because of playing games for so long and so often and just loving them and having a passion for it. But the real business side, such as like um, understanding competitive analysis, uh, doing analytics, um, understanding psychology, making personas, uh, like – uh, communication skills and just how to visualize data. Um, all of that actually was developed through more so in consulting than it was from college. Um, Interesting. <laughs> even though I was, a, I guess it, it makes sense though, because I was in consulting a lot longer than I was in college. Mm. Um, and, you know, most of the time that you're in college, only a portion of it is focused on really what your career may be like. It's mostly the technical yeah. skills and computer science. Exactly. But, um, In consulting, it's everything in small projects, and they teach you how to research things. It's almost like a study on how to study and learn things and become really um, business-wise intelligent on a subject. And so from consulting, uh, for around seven years, I was able to pick up a lot of kind of industry knowledge um, and find lots of similarities and uh, and lots of different problems uh, that plague I guess multiple industries, not just games. And then when I finally had enough, um, kind of, of the, of kind of being a, a part of a project and not f- fully seeing it through as, as most consultants will understand, you only work on one section of the problem or one section of the, the process of, of building something, um, I used the skills I had learned from consulting and then transferred them into the game industry. Um, and the year before that uh, is really where I I learned the most about kind of how difficult it is to make a game. So a year before I switched into the game industry, I was in a, um, a think tank for that consulting firm. And this is a big four firm, so it was lots of smart and bright people from all across all different industries um and we were trying to solve the problems of tomorrow I and mean, it sounds like a joke <laughs> like so the problems of tomorrow but in truth because we were the youth of the uh, of the entire consulting firm we were in charge of understanding what trends were were being set and then making sure that uh, our partners were well aware of the risks uh, of the opportunities that that would be possible in the next five years, and then jumping on top of those and building out um,
0: business strategies for those, um, so that so they. So I, I want sell. a quick, quick, quick question. Uh, sure. As you are going through your background, uh, I, I don't know if I missed this, but. During your, I guess, your tenure as a consultant, did you, what industry were you in? Were, there, were you in an industry that, you know, had a lot of similarities to games and that's why you made the Switch or, you know, what, like, how are those skills like easily translatable to making a game? Sure. So the the core skill that I was,
2: was in was business intelligence, which is um, what you guys kind of see as like the analytics, the big data. Um, I was working in finance a little bit before that uh so the finance was mainly testing financial software and then understanding um kind of how the money moved in through an organization and how the business kind of needs and business functionality of a product translated into kind of monetization so okay. i guess that <laughs> that that one is a bit one to one and then okay. from the think tank it was more of understanding what data could do and how to collect it how beha- how human behavior uh kind of affects uh monetization. Gotcha. And then uh specifically trying to build a mobile game from scratch in a consulting company
0: and then using those skills to to move over into the game industry. Interesting. Excellent. Cool. So um well that said, could you for our listeners and for our listeners' sake slash my sake, like define in your own words what product management is. Sure. Um I think to do that i'll just cut it
2: into four major skill sets uh there is business strategy and business strategy is understanding uh to, i guess mostly the economic supply and demand, but it's about coming up with why your product is better than the competitors and what the competitors do that could derail the success of your product um, just kind of optimizing your product and understanding where it sits and so that you can make the best type of iteration and and really make money. Um, Analytics. Analytics would be another skill set, which was um, understanding um, what the data is telling you and then trying to kind of glean insights from that uh, data so that you can make data-driven decisions. Um, There is psychology. So psychology would be understanding how users will act kind of moving through your product and then making decisions based on what those different uh psychological like personas will be and then there's communication and then visualization i put those together um although people say like oh visualization is more along the lines of analytics but it's presenting things um simplifying things, uh, making them easy to consume for different types of audiences. If I'm speaking to executives, I'm speaking a different type of language, I'm thinking things more high level. If I'm speaking to um, like an artist, an engineer, someone on the actual product, I'm giving them completely different um, information and I'm making their visualizations that fit their needs so that they can understand how, how they're affecting the product.
1: So so it sounds like you have to speak a lot of languages and sort of translate between you know sort of the the um, uh, what do you call it like departments or fields you know know, professions there you know interdisciplinary
0: type role yes thank you yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) cool Uh, that that was one hell of I have to say that was one hell of a definition for product (laughs) management if it were me I probably would just say you know managing the product Uh, but.
1: (laughs) Don't use the word but, define. It.
0: <laughs> exactly, but you, you mentioned a lot of uh, you know skill sets and attributes to the role, which I think we'll get into a lot more detail in, in, later in the episode. Uh, but uh, just for me, I have a question as far as product management and what it entails. I know you, you said it's like this inter- interdisciplinary role, uh, but when usually when I heard the word product manager, I usually related it and was held it analogous uh, analogous to a product a project manager slash producer in a game, are these roles vastly different? Are they, you know, mostly the same? Or, you know, where where do those roles, you know, converge slash divide? Uh, so, from my understanding, the the in my experience, mm-hmm. the project
2: manager uh, manages the success of the project and the people involved, almost like human resources and then resources and tools, uh, making timelines to make sure that the project is successful. Mm-hmm. Um, the product <laughs> manager... Uh, manages the actual product, as in making sure the product itself is is successful and not necessarily the people mm-hmm. on the pro, pro um, on the project. Okay. So the difference would be, uh, project manager may ping you. You tell the project manager that your tool is not working, or there's a bunch of bugs that aren't working, or we're not going to be able to meet schedule on time. You may say those th- same things to a product manager. But he's more concerned, or she's more concerned, about how that affects the actual product success and business <laughs> business goals, rather than the individuals on the uh, on the project. Gotcha. Um, does that make uh, sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it really you really de- de- delineated the, the roles between product and project managers. And I think I've read before like product managers being seen as like the CEO of the product. So like the executive officer of what the product is and the vision of it. Well, maybe not the vision, but just the direction and I guess. That depends. I
2: would Mm -hmm. say pre-production, it's really tough for a product manager to do that because um, he's relying heavily on like existing designs and kind of helping his team into uh, understanding what their risks are while they're still building the pro- product post-launch or you know, if there's like live events or what's going on afterwards. Um, yeah, I would say more, more uh, CEO uh, bec- mm-hmm. or more COO or, or strategy officer or, or you know, someone who's looking at competition, looking at reports, looking at performance. And then pivoting and making okay. decisions uh, based on understanding what the goals are. So, uh, visionary is probably like your main executive producer, your studio head, or whoever is the, the person that was almost like a producer or executive producer on a film who's okay. in charge of, like, oh, this is the script that we want to do. This is the vision that I kind of have. Uh, that might be a product owner, that might be an executive producer. Cool. That makes sense.
1: Cool. Uh, so <clears throat> you mentioned you mentioned sort of in like the, the pre-production stage that it's more into the project sort of umbrella of like what, kind of how things flow. So how, like how much, say, like prediction do you have to make? Like, you know, is it, is it very nebulous for you sort of upfront when a project starts and you have to sort of make assumptions and work with limited information?
2: Man, you know, Ryan, that's the toughest part because, yes, it's very nebulous. It's very vague. You do your best to <clears throat> mitigate risk and to inform uh, the people who are kind of building the game. Um, mm-hmm. We do competitive analysis. We play uh, lots of different games that are in the same field, and then we break them out into the mechanics, into the monetization, into the numbers, and we build models that predict how we might do based on what they've already done, um, which is, is tough to sell to a designer who's trying to do something completely new. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we we like a product manager works in that way pre-launch to try to drive uh the the design team to think about all of the risks of the things that they're doing and try to have informed design well we the worst thing in like which happens a lot is because we present these risks they come across as problems that the design team just has to solve around as individual problems um and though um you know when you're playing a game and you see a mechanic you really like and they see a mechanic they really like And then you try to inform them of this is why this works. If you're not thorough, um, they may take that design, may not fit the game, or they'll go against the design, not knowing, and pick pieces of it and not know how it works uh, completely. Mm -hmm. And then it won't be until much later when they're trying to put that piece into a whole other design that they realize that it doesn't quite fit and if you're not aware of the complete product and the complete vision you're as a product manager you're going to make those same mistakes as well so it's a lot of communication between you and the design team and a lot of kind of trust and understanding between the product manager design and the executive producer and um, that your recommendations aren't just based on nebulous fact but and your assumptions are written down, they're documented, and everyone understands why you've made the decisions that you've made or, or why the model works in the way that gotcha. it works.
0: Cool. Yeah. So that actually leads me to two new questions, uh, based, kind of on the same vein of like, you know, your communication with this lead designer, with the the folks that are actually designing the games uh, and assessing risk as the game. And then like, do those <sighs> decisions or your decisions uh cause a lot of conflict with designers? Does it, you know... Of course,
2: of course, just as any other profession would cause conflict with another profession. If a designer wants to do one thing and the artist says, like, you know, I don't think that looks good, or the UI says that's that's dumb or stupid, mm-hmm. if you don't communicate why, mm-hmm. they're going to have a problem with it. And they have, you know, in their case, it's that they're going to be right because you haven't... Or th- the way that I consider it, they're going to be right if you haven't communicated in a way... That makes sense to them. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of understanding what their goals are. Um, They may have told you their complete vision and that's why you're making mistakes. But it's your job to kind of get that out of the team Um, along with them, too. They'll feel like it's their job, too. Um, And if you have a good team, they'll feel like that. Um, But for the most part, your job is to even when there's conflict, usually that just kind of means that you're headed in some kind of positive change. Uh, if you feel strongly about something, they feel strongly about something. Sometimes it's along the lines of like, or I want to use a system that, you know, uses more randomized rewards and they want to use kind of like an on-rails experience. It's your job to find all of the positive experiences from both and measure them against each other, try to figure out uh, which um, has the best kind of performance uh, that matches what the design of the game is going to is will help the design of the game and
0: not hurt it. It's interesting. Your your last sentence about like which one has the best it almost sounds like uh, more of a in intuition slash opinionated question as far as coming from the designer uh, as opposed to coming from a product manager who's almost like a specialist in data-driven analysis of these things is and i guess my question is is that why we see you know a lot of clones that happen like hey the product owner said or product manager said you know, this is going to work, whereas my design just sounded really good. It sounded like it would be fun. It sounded like it would be engaging, but it wouldn't really work in the market.
2: In some ways, yes. And then I think in some ways that's also a flaw. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why there are all the movies that you're seeing now, and I'm going to go to the movie because it's an entertainment industry and it in some ways has parallels. Um, there's a reason why there's a lot of sequels there's a reason why we keep seeing comic book movies there's mm-hmm. a reason why is because and the reason why they're successful um and then again why the reason why there's a lot of flops within the same industry industry mm-hmm. it's because people keep going to see them and they keep paying a lot of money and by producing them you know there it's, it's an efficient way to do it unfortunately as people we follow behaviors <laughs> but you know I also, you know, will go see Logan this weekend because I like Wolverine. And even though I've seen all the rest of them, oh, yeah. yes. if they make another one, I'll probably see it again. Um, gotcha. there's, there's also formulas. So yes, and there's also a flaw. And it takes really like the, let's say that the designer has something and it sounds really good. There's probably something there. And you just want to give that designer, um, either he or she, like you want to give them the ability to understand what the risks are with what they're doing. It's not necessarily to say like don't absolutely don't do this unless you find an example of it that's that's failed that's very, you know, similar to what you're trying to do and mm-hmm. and you can explain exactly why it failed and how it will fail for your your company. It's not your job as a product manager to kind of reduce innovation like you want to help innovation you want to be a part of innovation you don't want to um and or if it's iterative you don't want to be um a hindrance to your team and say like we shouldn't do this unique new thing it may be that we can't do so many new unique things <laughs> <laughs> but specifically that like we should be trying to do new and unique things and be market and setters. But we have to be aware of the risks, and and yeah. those are often the hardest ones to measure, which is why some people like there's a lot of fear in it. Like so a lot of people don't try to do
0: those. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love that. That that's like a, a teaching moment. Uh, not, I guess I was going I was going to say to indie teams, but I think it's it goes way beyond indie teams and, and professionals and, and huge game studios could like really heed that advice. It's like, you know, the, it seems like the product manager's role should definitely be to leave that space open for innovation. uh, But just assessing risk where they may lie. So just seems like a really lovely teaching moment and well said. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just outside, I think going back a little bit, just how we were talking about, you know, the product manager's role as assessing risk through, uh, from the games, I guess, pre-production side of things. Does that mean like a product manager would be seen as maybe an essential first hire or a really early hire in the process, or where, typically where do you see product managers really coming into into fruition in a game's life cycle so it depends on who
2: else you have because one of the things that were left out and we didn't talk about earlier is that a product manager is really like a, i guess like a almost like a film director it's like a a uh, like a center fielder it's usually the person that kind of is a jack-of-all-trades in in some ways and like has abilities to do different things. So your product manager early on in the process may help you if you're making a game that you know, um, like you want to understand how it's going to fit in the market. Um, I wouldn't say like if you're just concepting, if it's just you and a friend trying to put together a prototype, you may not need a product manager then. But when you really start Becoming serious about like how are we going to make a living off of this game or how are we, <laughs> yeah. That's probably around the time that you want to hand like like the resumes to or sorry hand out like, um was it um jo- job kind of applications to people who have business sense of of how as a business strategy are we going to put this out on the market. <clears throat> um, there's also marketing, which a lot of pe- there's product marketing team. And as a product market manager um which will handle like the most of the marketing the user acquisition um which is a different field which you also need but a product manager would be ma- mostly for your product in understanding competition understanding monetization going through your mechanics your design and trying to help you mitigate the risk so it's it's usually like a not as much as i would say an indie game thing but when you do have a product manager, you're going to need it if you're going to run live ops. Uh, so I would say uh, a while before you launch the game live, you should probably have someone with that skill set to 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 aid you. Otherwise, you're kind of flying blind.
1: Yes. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like somebody you'd want to bring in, like, hey, we launched in, like, six months. Let's get him in here and see if he can figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: cool. Uh, cool. Uh, so... I guess one of my next, I think a question I've actually asked before on a couple of interviews is what is the PM's or product managers, like, or who is the PM's audience? Uh, For instance, like the project manager's audience would be, you know, the devs on the team slash the project that they're working on. Uh, We spoke to Janine earlier and she said, you know, community manager's audience is both the player base that she's catering to and the devs that she sort of caters to as well. Uh, So what would be the audience of a product manager?
2: Um, m- mainly the game team, the executives, of course, if you're in a company, if you're in some kind of corporation. um, But mainly, for me, it's been the game team is where I've had the most impact. When you do an event or when you... D- Have a design and you have data that you can measure and you can say, hey, this is something that's wrong. Like almost like a doctor would like show you an x-ray of your game and show it clearly like this is where the break is in your arm. Mm -hmm. That's what we would show to a team member. Now It may look different if I'm showing an artist a report on uh, how people are having trouble navigating uh, the menus and not or kind of reaching features that we've launched and it may be for a dev that are showing them hey this is some technical performance stuff like everybody using this device to play this game is they're really not <laughs> they're uh it's failing every time that they hit this one point um mm-hmm. that you may not see you may play the game and see that but you may not see it um every case because this the product manager is looking at data so it may look different but that's kind of the the kind of like the, the the audience by like just in different different um different lenses of what i'm showing them and the executives want to see high level performance mm-hmm. there's specific metrics that are tracked um, across mobile um, in most businesses um, like a lifetime value of how much someone spent over how much they've uh, stayed into the game uh, the retention of like how many people come back day after day or how what the percentage of the main users that started on one day keep coming back a one, three, seven, 14 days. there's uh, just monetization and how much average money are people spending? um in a day and how much of the people that do spend how much are they spending um in a day and how frequently they're converting into to purchasing things um awesome. like how long do people spend in the game there's things that executives look at at a high level that they can see um with their knowledge of games and understand if the game is healthy or not um, so cool and that way those are different things like usually a dev may not care about uh ret- they'll care about it but they don't want to see like oh show me that retention chart and yeah. see how <laughs> the game is kind of performing they just want to see specifically to what i'm doing tell me how i can improve yeah. uh the game um and you know be efficient about it because my time is limited and like these are really smart people that so they're going to understand a lot of what you're showing them you just have to uh make it pertinent to what they're trying to do
0: gotcha Cool. So, on, on the topic of audience, uh, I know in the past that you particularly have had experience working with both uh, Eastern markets and Western markets. Uh, can you explain like what your experience has been dancing dancing between like that Eastern realm versus the Western realm? Like, sure. And it's you know it's it's hard to
2: kind of almost the given audience an entire behavior type because there's just yeah, many yeah. different behaviors within For East me. and West. Um, a lot of things that I've seen though are um the West and like we're it seems like the West is a little bit more obsessed with um use UI like and navigating through the game, um and minimal like information being shown on screens. Like if I play a game and it's kind of overwhelming, and this is not like because I've seen people play World of Warcraft with like just a full HUD just filled with things but just saying when I'm watching people play mobile the more crowded the UI is the more intimidating it's like looking at a menu at Cheesecake Factory and seeing like there's so many options (laughs) and not being able to just being paralyzed and trying to figure out what to do whereas when I play games on the eastern market they're I mean they try to fit as much on a screen as possible Mm -hmm. and it it may work for them but the barrier to like seeing it um, for a lot of users, it just doesn't doesn't quite uh, work. So that's something that I'm seeing. the The games in the U.S. seem to be more around. and I think it's just successful for them. The, the social interaction between people mm-hmm. um, seems to be a strong driver in how the game performs. Like you see games like um, Pokemon. You here? see games in the top of the in the charts charts really, and you see like a lot of these games in the West like involve interaction between like even just apps in general. Um <laughs> like whether you're looking at tinder or something now, this is a human interaction
0: yeah, yeah um
2: that's driving a lot of the content um and you get some of that in the east too, but mainly what you see is like the experience um skill like strategy mm-hmm. um are like really deep in in those games um yeah. not that they're not in the in the west, but that's kind of like their the longevity of their or their games and not they don't really focus as much on the uh the, the kind of the social features, um, although they they have them and and where they do have them, they they have strengths.
0: Gotcha. I love he <laughs> You sound just like a product manager. You're like like not trying to step on any toes. You're like, eh, Well, there's there they both have them. You know, it's all good <laughs> both sides. So,
1: hey, uh, um, Vin, you, you mentioned in the um like in the in the West having the sort of the more social interactions in um in games in the East, and this is just more of an out of curiosity thing. Is that is that do you think that's more sort of a like a deeper social interaction that's part of the gameplay or is that also sort of, de- or could that be derived from, you know, early on with like, say Facebook and early mobile games, you saw a lot of like, hey, invite X amount of friends and get more resources and sort of, it kind of like really, really encouraged spidering out just to do better in the game. Hmm. I mean, that's,
2: that's an excellent question. Uh, for the most part, I like to look at just like the most simple thing of like, how are the two audiences using their devices in general. <laughs> like when you use your phone, what do you use it for? Like, yeah, we spider that. We had Facebook when we we're using it on PC, but um, like we barely call people anymore to call to interact. We text a whole bunch out here. We, we Facebook people, we Instagram, we Snapchat, and we look at, see how many likes we have. Um, and then that way, it kind of parallels the way that the social features work mm-hmm. and the mobile games here and i'm not i see kakao in in uh in um in korea and i see some of these other um social apps and they're not they're kind of coming second to the ones that we're doing but they're starting to to branch out like that but from the foundation of their games and how they've how they like some of those countries give you like along with your phone plan like money to spend on games um oh. hmm. they may work differently on how you know how they interact with the socially using their phones over there i remember going to japan like in 1997 and seeing like TVs and show like like or not TVs but like the video, like the video quality for the phone was like way different than like my nokia brick like they were <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> advanced um in like the, the functionality for like the individual like the singular user for their phones it may have just the uh, kind of diverted there but um you're seeing a lot more like success in social too so like the west kind of is is leading that trend in some ways but then the single player experience like the gotcha mechanics that Mm -hmm. have come from the east are are making their way over here too so
1: yeah they certainly are i've even seen them in like things such as gears of war now
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so i it was not to say that it's it could also be from what you said too ryan of of just um where social has uh, started here and where it started there too that's that's not discounting that too but like i'm just saying from my experience of just looking at how phones are used in general it seems to like trend for like what people expect and how they play games as well here
1: no right on that makes sense i mean that's sort of the fundamental right you know is, is like they're like you said their day-to-day usage so no I, I think it's a very good point cool uh just so
0: to so switch gears just a little bit um We we really haven't talked about I guess how much like how someone uh, you know in college or not in college or just any random person would become a product manager. Uh, We've heard your story, but like what other steps or what steps do you need to take to become a product manager? Do you have to get a higher education? Is that kind of required, or you know you need to get an MBA or other certification for the role? I'm gonna say it helps. Product manager is one of those skills that
2: translates across different industries for products. Like I can probably switch out from games and work on like any mobile app, if that makes sense. The metrics might be a little bit different, but for the most part, the performance and how we come up with those metrics, the process is going to be the same. For someone to come out of high school with the skill set that's needed would be very difficult unless they had already been making mobile games for a while and had someone probably in their family or some, Uh, apprenticeship Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they would understand the math that's required. I would say that you need at least a college degree before you can start with a specialization in um, data science, computer science, um, um, information sciences, information technology, maybe, but mostly like it it could be business and economy, Um, but probably more of like a 50-50 tech business style degree. Uh, Whereas I went full tech with um, computer science, Mm -hmm. I always had my hands in business um, just from working. And, you know, I I was one of those people that would buy things and then from like Sam's Club or Costco and then sell them to other people for, for, (laughs) you know, for a little bit more. Like I, I just, I was always had that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. So, were you yeah, selling candy well, in that, high
1: school? Because I did that I too. Was, I, did I was one it. of those people. I was. You yeah. know, there's
2: so many stories of different people doing that, but yeah. it's because you want to find some way to to make money, and you yeah. see the you, yeah. you see the there's a way to do it. And yeah. so, like, you can have that mentality and be in computer science, and they'll teach you the math that's probably required, but you'll probably have to put your 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 math kind of electives in the line with um kind of predictive analytics and in linear algebra maybe maybe some some uh some economics accounting and finance to to do some projections some models um i would say mba is probably like as high as you need um and if you're doing that it's because you love school <laughs> and, um but i i wouldn't say that 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 won't hurt you it'll only help you um but i think you can get away with um with, I guess, having having that um that technical, that computer science degree, and then moving over into, into, uh, to kind I'm of. I'm actually
0: kind of interested kind of, or uh, surprised that it's more, you have like a more of a tech background for this field as opposed to something more like, uh, you know, maybe even a psychology background or even sales related, uh, background. Um, well, I do. I just got them from different industries, but the tech, part of the
2: core of it was Mm -hmm. because the analytics is probably the math, the like doing the query, the understanding like SQL, understanding Mm -hmm. like just kind of just loving Excel and loving modeling and Mm -hmm. and, and, like that type of problem solving. Um, Even like Python, like running scripts, that stuff is, you're probably going to have an easier time. um, If you have that as like a fundamental background that they teach you in school, Rather than the business side um, and going to those classes, but you may, you know, I'm coming from computer science, so it's, I definitely have a bias. Uh, I've met people with more of a of a business side, but I've met more people with computer science that just had more of a talent for the for the business side than than coding, and then used coding as a foundation to do kind of to simplify the things that they're trying to analyze.
0: Nice, cool. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, Well, so we we've kind of you've actually already started talking about some of the essential tools, I guess, in the product manager's toolbox. Uh, even mentioned earlier when you were defining the role, uh, a couple of skill sets that are necessary. Can you just go into a little bit more detail about these certain skill sets slash skills slash even programs you may use, like Excel or you said you've mentioned model a lot. Yeah, uh, can you define what those things are? Sure, so let's just
2: dive straight into the analytics part of it, because as I mentioned, there's business strategy, there's analytics, there's psychology, and then there's the communication part. The analytics part's going to be the most technical skill, and like where the most of the stuff that you have in your toolbox comes from. Python is definitely very useful. Um, being able to crawl like a Twitter feed and come up with like keywords or like a chat feed, and uh, those are some things that you can do easily or more easily i wouldn't say easily there's things that you do more easily in python or ruby or some scripting uh language that that you'll probably at some point need to do unless you have a data scientist um, excel is like that's the i mean that's the rice that's the staple <laughs> of mm-hmm. of, a, uh, of a of a of a product manager being able to model things quickly and when i say model that means Building out some sort of um, kind of moving calculation that can take in data and predict or give you some type of estimates on 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 the way things are, may work out based on some assumptions. So I may take into account like how many people we think we're going to get each day, uh, and like what those mechanics that those types of user segments might grow go into so someone who plays the game like just 15 minutes a day someone plays the game an hour a day someone plays the game more than 2 hours a day or like whatever kind of mutually exclusive group uh that is and collectively exhaustive group that that would be to segment and then by putting those behaviors in those type of um that data in it will project okay this is uh how i think those users will exhaust the content that you have or this is how we expect them to pay based on like market trends and like what mechanics and features you have uh and just kind of those kind of models building that in excel or google sheets uh building macros to help you to automate some of that information uh data visualization tools i uh i love tableau i'm i get kind of extremely nerdy with it, Uh, but, like, so, to the point where, you know, I every kind of life event that we have here, with me and my wife, I try to, like, jot data down just so if I can see trends. (laughs) Uh, You know, just in the, that's the type of things that i i don't know why i like to do those but i always get random insights from like i don't think that uh (laughs) correlated but it 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 kind of does and let's see if it if one causes the other (laughs) um like those are the type of things that um that help uh help me and so i like visualizations like tableau or like some some Sometimes you can do the same things in Excel and Google Sheets, but I, I, I will. I'm a big advocate of Tableau. I love Tableau. Uh, I, I've used it uh, at my consulting company, and I, and I try to advocate it for wherever I go. So, um, if you want to sponsor me, Tableau, go ahead and send your, <laughs> your, <laughs> your tools. Um, is that
0: is that a free or is that a paid for service? Or I will find out after we put this <laughs> out. We'll
2: find out after <laughs> <the> endorse <laughs> Um, That's too funny. And uh, so um, I talked about Python. I talked about Excel. I talked about Tableau. There's uh, SQL. You're gonna have to know SQL. Um, there's no getting around it. Uh, you're gonna have to know how to get things from a database and do it efficiently. Um, it could be Hive database. It could be Google BigQuery. It could be. It could be anything. But you're gonna have to understand, uh, and and you're gonna get have to get really intimate with SQL um Ooh. yeah that's right <laughs> uh i'm trying to remember a, a lot of the analytics but i think that covers kind of the core set there's a lot of other things like present presentation but i think that falls more under communication okay. than under uh the analytic the, the tech side of things
0: cool 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 uh so so question Do, i know well i'm not sure i the uh what different platforms you've been on but does the do you think the toolbox for rpm differs from mobile games to console games to you know online web games facebook games mmos etc vr even i would say only
2: in that maybe you want to learn unity for (laughs) for games uh you may want to learn whatever product side but no because if you know python if you know how to get data mm-hmm. you know how to manipulate that data if you know how to uh like build models out like i've been doing that since i was in consulting it's the same skills the same tool sets like i said i've been using tableau since then so no not not too much it's not it's not too different in fact if you go and look on job requisitions for each of those for a pm for across industries you're probably going to see a lot of that
0: gotcha right. cool right on <laughs> Sweet. Um, so I'm going to transition a little bit again <laughs> to another topic. And this is what I we've actually kind of touched on this a little bit early on in the episode uh, about the pressure of you know, creating this perfect product and that pressure that the product manager has um, on himself via the, you know, the executives, the devs, even the designers uh any of course even the consumer base like when the game releases in post-production uh the expectation is like you know this game sucks because x y and z they should have yeah. done this or you know there's a lot a lot of pressure that seemingly is put on this owner or manager of the product uh how do you deal with you know that expectation of having to deliver a fun engaging super long-lasting gaming experience you know that's gonna bring in the company billions of dollars how do you deal with that <laughs> So that's the, the question of, like, what keeps you up late at
2: night? It's different things for different um, disciplines. And for the PM, I would say missed opportunities for monetization is probably the core one. Uh, missed opportunities for monetization, missed opportunities for, for testing and experiments, uh like a b testing (laughs) like oh i should have done this when i did this and like the it's hard to test this thing now if that makes sense or we could have done this and we squelched like a whole bunch of resources and and we lost money doing it those are the things that that keep you up it's not you feel the pressure in some ways Mm -hmm. to monetize and to make the billion dollar game Mm -hmm. but for the most part if you understand the design of the game you kind of have an idea of uh of how much it could have done um and how you're probably not as big a part <laughs> as much as the design and the the tech uh the kind of technical capability of the tools that you're using it's mostly things that have already been done and you're just informing those people um about how successful the game could possibly be but optimizing like a missed opportunities for for sales and doing different things is probably what keeps uh PMs up late thinking about like, oh, we should do this or or what ex users are going to kind of want in the game and, and not having it and then having a competitor just like come out with it and then they just kind of <laughs> take your, your market space um and not being aware of that stuff and then the team not seeing it and then they're like dude why didn't you tell us this you know like th- that's yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. of things that yeah. you're like you're that kind of keep you up late you're like oh like how could i have missed that cool um, yeah
0: so, so yeah you're talking about mainly like about the uh almost like self-inflicted pressure that you have as uh, a pm uh but then you also touched on like some of the external pressures from like you, like you said the devs like hey why didn't you tell us this or the executive saying hey why didn't you figure this out um so like when you when you are confronted with things like from a dev saying, you know, if you would have told us about you know x, y and z feature, we wouldn't have to rewrite our whole back end or we wouldn't have to rewrite this, et cetera like oh, how yeah. do you deal with those kind of expectations dealing with that kind of heat uh, have you had to deal with it much at all, or is it has it been really tame? you know i I was so
2: afraid of that happening that that's usually the driver in kind of being exhaustive if anything mm. i have more documentation than they'll ever read mm-hmm. and it's probably highlighted or part of in some way or form the stuff and it's probably like an uh issue that i would say like arises is making sure you surface the important thing so it may not be that i didn't have it but i didn't surface it to them nice. <laughs> in the right way but if and if you do come up with that um and it's too late to do something uh that's usually the time that you have to go into a kind of deep self reflective mode in figuring out is it time to pivot your product mm-hmm. <laughs> or can you stay the course and correct your mistakes and outperform your competitors? Uh, it's usually not necessarily a, like a, you'll hear this a lot in football about like a, just like a short term memory of forget the last play, mm-hmm. but it's not really that. It's more along the lines of not letting the mistakes break your product um, and trying to make the the kind of the the mistakes that you've made into opportunities to either learn something or do something else ext- like a lot better hmm. if that makes sense it's just like a mentality more than it is like if if we make a mistake here and we're called and like we find out exactly what we made a mistake on that should never be a blind spot anymore than like we shouldn't make the same mistake twice mm-hmm. and it may be that we've seen data that's pushing us in a certain direction is why we didn't go that way in the first place.
1: Then you better never come over and tell us to rewrite the back end again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: it won't fun. come from me. <laughs> There'll be Look a messenger. Somebody else.
2: Yeah.
0: That's actually one of my questions. I was going to say like in games, our product managers usually the first to wave the red flag, I guess when it comes yes. to, yes. uh, Okay, you said, but yeah. you are just not yeah. the person that actually delivers the bad news. I would say, say it's
2: it's it's the product product manager and the community. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, there the community you go. is like, yeah. "Hey, you messed up." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the product is like, oh, we messed up." <laughs> <laughs> and and it's usually some kind of translation that needs to happen between when the community is like, "Oh, hey, we you can get this free stuff here or this is a loophole or this is this other game is doing this thing." And then uh you're like, "Oh, but you know, let me analyze it and see if it's actually a problem or not. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, because of uh, we're so intimate with the data in the and we're looking at we're kind of like that's how we have our eyes of like looking and seeing what the data is saying. We usually come up with and see things first and we're usually playing the game uh you know, as PMs like very heavily, um in order to kind of get an understanding on like and trying not to develop a bias, um, which is a hard thing to do too. So yeah, I would say PMs uh, come up with and and raise the red flags. Now, it could be that I'm raising a red flag and I'm showing you data and I'm saying like, yeah, we have to do this. But it would be hard to say for me that like you, the only way to solve this problem (laughs) is to redo the entire back end, if that makes sense. (laughs) It could be that it's like, here's the issue. Here's some solutions. Uh, This is the most effective way. What do you guys think we could do uh, that would kind of hurt you the less, the least mm. amount uh, in order to fix this problem um, if it's something that we indeed need to fix. And then we would probably work out some kind of solution um, unless there is only one
0: super clear way to do it. Gotcha. Interesting. Right on. Well, yeah. Another quick question, uh, just to follow up on that last statement you said. Uh, when you said... If we, the royal we, decide is a problem to fix, is the we, when you're referring to the role as a product manager, usually just the product manager designer, or is it extend or can extend all the way up to, like, upper leadership and upper management? That's that's why I said that nebulous
2: we, because okay. it changes depending <laughs> on what the problem is. If it's a core problem and the executives are aware of it and there's a problem with the game, it'll be we, as in them, <laughs> Because they're probably <laughs> making that decision. If it's a UI problem, it's probably we as in the UI and the product manager like mm-hmm. coming going back and forth, and a designer. Um, it could just be a product manager and an engineer. It changes to based on on the problem, okay. and so it's the same way of like when we were answering the question of uh, how different audiences we talk to and different lenses that we use, I would say that we, in that way, just becomes the stakeholders for the specific problem. Gotcha. Uh,
0: Another question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for uh, like when, when we, uh, dang, I just actually just lost it. Uh, I was going to say when you're, oh, oh yeah. For like different types of product managers, are there like the, the type, the product manager that works strictly from data or do you find have you ever found a product manager that is more opinionated than than he or she needs to be and and like hey you know this ui would be really cool because i think it's gonna be really cool and i don't know we all are i I think the product
2: manager like honestly it's hard to come into a problem without a a bias or a Mm -hmm. solution in fact like it's sometimes like a uh, it's it's a bad thing sometimes to come in with the solution but it's just the training that you have to go through of saying like I know I have a solution. I'm like, one of my normal skills is that I'm a problem solver, (laughs) but (laughs) my solution may not be the best solution. So really the most important thing to communicate is the problem. Mm -hmm. And then uh, maybe offer up an example of the way someone else solved the problem or an example of how the problem could be solved, leaving room for uh, a better answer for that problem. Catch gotcha. it. Um. So yeah, you have plenty of people who are way too opinionated, but I think that goes across all <laughs> every field, all everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, oh, you yeah. have engineers who who are great designers, um, or and then you have engineers who think that they're great designers and feel you know like it's it, you have uh, product managers that do the same thing. I think I, you know I think I'm really good at design. Um, and then I, I'm sure a designer could prove me otherwise. Uh, so it's just kind of like, uh, you have to understand that, um, there's always like you're, you're, you're kind of just do your job (laughs) and your job is to (laughs) present them with that. There is a problem and opportunities to fix it and, and then give them the best information to help them to, uh, help your team to, to
1: solve that problem in the best way that they can. Um, and not necessarily
2: to do everything yourself.
1: Yeah, you really sound like the data and facts guy. Like in every role you've described so far, it's like you you bring the information like others may need to like solve a problem, you know, and work together on how to do that. So that's that's very important shit. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs>
0: cool. Uh so yeah, as we I guess wrap start to wrap up the episode, um what, do you have any like uh, fun, interesting, terrorizing stories from your experience as a product manager, both oh. in outside games? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I there,
2: I I do for so many, so many things, <laughs> so many things can go wrong, uh. You know, games like when something gets, I've I've had a a live event, and I I know that a lot of people have felt this problem, um, like having a live event where you've given out too much or you've made a mistake in data and maybe given out something that you shouldn't have given out, or you didn't give out something that was deserved, and then the community like you got only a certain amount of time for that turn community just turns against you <laughs> like an angry horde. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, this happened to us and the mo- main problem is like having a checklist and making sure you're doing, you're double checking everything that you're doing before you're setting putting things live. I I think this can be said so many times for so many games of just understanding that it's very important before to double check your work. And so we had a situation where I wasn't necessarily involved in the, in the process, but I should have been. And after we set out something that didn't go, uh, that went live, that was missing data and didn't give the rewards that they were supposed to give out, um, this is like we had a content manager and the guy was in, in tears cuz immediately he knew that he made like a huge mistake. Hmm. And so, you know, I sat with this guy and with uh with all the data that I got from the game, just we stayed um through the entire um night uh finding every single person, finding out what state they were in and trying to like reset and redo the accounts and give them a reward hmm. that uh, kind of made up for uh, the mistake that we made, oh. and then uh, you know, I know he was happy with that we stayed, but it really showed like who cares about the game and who doesn't when you see who stayed late to like fix it. I was thinking yeah. we were there till like three in the morning. That's true. Um, oh wow! Running, doing like data checks, and then I, I know people always have stories about about the stuff, and then and then fixing it, and then giving the rewards to everyone. And uh, the you know with all the 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 salt and the, the brimstone that was being thrown at us. <laughs> you know for the most part the the, the community um sentiment was really nice cuz we kept them in the loop you know i made sure to talk with the community manager like we're going to fix this don't worry like we know that there's a problem we know we messed up we're very sorry people will be rewarded uh we're checking the accounts and we're we're making sure that we give you um something and we did it throughout the process um so that they weren't kind of in the dark and i think we got a lot of good sentiment because we um because we 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 were real honest about our like where we messed up and and we tried to make up for it mm-hmm. um and that stuff matters it, it's still the customer's always right you know and it's like the customer may not have the right attitude, but they're what they're trying to tell you is in some ways mm-hmm. um the right thing and so it it still follows that where you're trying to um um just as a team um kind of when you make mistakes, own up to them and learn from them. And um, I think that comes with any type of profession. But uh, as a product manager, since a lot of your stuff is a lot of the assumptions are vague and it can be wrong, you have to kind of own up to that and then and try to uh, improve.
0: Sweet, nice. So yeah, I guess uh, to leave our listeners with you know some sage advice from Vin. Zinsu, the product manager. Uh, do you have any piece of advice you would like to leave our listeners with uh, about being a product manager, or your experience, or what you've learned in your experience? Sure. Um, one of the most, the most difficult things I think you do with data
2: is when you go in with data with a bias instead of like a true experiment. Like You got to think st- straight up like a scientist. What's I have a hypothesis, but it's not biased to that hypothesis and let the data tell you exactly what's going on and kind of don't have the pride that says that like, oh, that's showing me the wrong thing. You know, um, just listen to the data, double check it, of course, and make sure that it's telling you what it's trying to tell you, but look at it and then try not to have a bias if it's proving something that you didn't think was right. And it's like, oh, I wanted to do this. Um, I did a test to prove that I should do this. And the data is telling me something completely different. Then you probably need to Mm reevaluate what, you know, what you're doing. Like just like not to trust the data because you're looking at historical, but let the data speak to you and tell you things. And don't, um, don't necessarily take uh, risks that you were
0: trying to prove uh, wrong when you can avoid them. Hmm. Cool. Well, um, I don't know we could, I think maybe, I don't know, Ryan shut me up last time when I asked if you wanted to like <laughs> share your contact information or if you want people to reach you on Twitter or anything like that or maybe you need to plug a, a slick game you're working on. Do you have any of that you want to?
2: If, uh, if I mean, not, we can could... go ahead. Yeah, like I, I would share, but it's just my personal information. So they're going to be able to figure yeah. it out if you can yeah. see my name on this podcast. <laughs> it's, yeah. one of the... it's like I'm the only one with my name. If you look that's me up, true. you're gonna find me on Google. It's not. It's not too hard. And if yeah, you're willing to make worse. that much effort, <laughs> then, then to contact me, then then, then like go on right creepy. ahead. It's not. Yeah, it's not like yeah. you're gonna find. It was like, oh, there's like twenty videos in It was like, nah, there's just one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, worst comes to worst, we'll, be, we'll act as proxies. And if they have any questions about product management, about you know your role, how do you got into consulting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they can just reach out to us uh, at the debug log at gmail.com. Um, so anyway, again, Vin, it was, Vinyan, it was excellent. It was uh, enlightening talking to you. We learned a lot. You dropped a lot of knowledge about the product manager's role, his purpose, his or her purpose, rather. Uh, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks. You were
1: super informative. It was a blast.
2: Yeah. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed it.
1: Cool, man. How no. you doing? Awesome, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Later. Later.
0: And we're back! Another great interview, uh, another sprocket interview, if you will. We've uh, kept them going pretty steadily. Yeah, yeah. probably should have reached out to someone outside the walls. So. Well, it,
1: well, it's a deep well there, so I mean, these are that's awesome true. people. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep like taken from it. So <laughs>
0: exactly, that's true. Uh, but yeah, Vin Vin Vinion dropped a lot of a lot of knowledge, just like Dan did uh, on our uh, graphics episode. But just all the, I, I kind of really like these little, you know, tell me about this field type. Interviews Mm -hmm. that are really diving deep into what a project manager is, what a community manager is, uh, what a graphics engineer does. So I think they're really helpful. And I hope our listeners are enjoying them as much as we are recording them. So...
1: Yeah, absolutely because I mean like, you know, even being in the industry, it's like, you know, I kind of have blinders on from an engineer's perspective. So to like to hear like even Vin today talk mm-hmm. about like you just how many sort of overlapping uh sort of professional uh skill sets that he has yeah, that kind of yeah. go into his job. Like I had no idea. Like and I I just barely remembered that he had a computer science degree too. Like so yeah and i and also yes. just realized so we had fsu georgia and georgia tech on that call so that was interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So laughs> rivalries <Florida>. all
0: right <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly
1: um but yeah
0: it was cool it was good having him on the show and i really like like you said i really enjoyed listening to at least learning more about the field because i had no idea it went that deep actually yeah so cool well um I guess if you want to learn more and hang out with us more outside of the show, you can do so on our Facebook group, which is called the debug lounge. Um, you can enter that lounge exclusive lounge by either sending us an email at the debug log at gmail.com or going directly to Facebook and searching for the debug lounge. And we will send you an invite after doing so. So do that. Uh, oh, s- similarly to our debug lounge, we also have a debug lounge YouTube series, which actually, you know, was it catalogs catalogs i guess guess experiences
1: yeah well archives i don't know like who are (laughs) saving knowledge for the future for the the children as we were saying earlier. exactly just
0: a a knowledge bank uh, or video knowledge bank of you know other game developers like you you know just creating games in unity outside of unity and different engines uh different skill sets even uh sound we've had sound engineers on there we've had um We've had the tech director on Unity on there. So we've had a lot of different people on that show. Uh, And you get to meet them, sort of meet them, e-meet them face-to-face in YouTube. So that's really cool. So go check that out
1: yeah cool and if you'd like to help support us and what we do and try to keep these things coming um, we'd very much appreciate anything you could do and you can uh, donate to us at uh, patreon.com/ the debug log uh, and thank you to it looks like we have t- or up to 10 patrons guys we really appreciate it because you know we, we love doing it but we, all, we also love a little help too and it's your appreciation more than, more than anything else so
0: yes yes Cheers, folks uh, so Cheers. anyway if you want to reach me on Twitter. You can find me at obeans. That's O
1: with an H, beans with a Z. You can find me at, at r e Kilgore, K I L L G O R E. And that's all she wrote. Yes. Yes. Thank and you for listening. See you next week. Oh,